Good morning, Jenny, and welcome to hell. <laughs> I've been planning that. I've been wanting to say that for a while. So here we are. I get to finally do it. I'm so excited that we are going to be spending some time on this topic because it is mm-hmm. such an important one for us to deconstruct, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to spend more than one episode on it because it deserves Mm -hmm. some more attention. But let's start this episode in our usual fashion for season two where we play our Bible game. (laughs) Is it the Bible where we guess is something from the Bible or from somewhere else? What do you have for us today? Yes. So I have some be a little slightly different format. So basically, I'm going to give you some um, statements and you say, did this come from the Bible or is this like from some outside uh, construct of the idea of hell, if that makes sense. Your first statement is, in hell, sinners are punished for progressively worse transgressions in progressively worse ways. Ooh. You know, it's funny because I have always heard growing up, like, no sin is worse than the other. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure if that is Christian culture, evangelical culture. Mm -hmm. Um... I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll say outside, outside source. Okay. So you are correct, I think. But as <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down that it was from, it's from, I got the idea from Dante's Inferno, okay. which is loosely based on the Bible. But this kind of ties into the Catholic idea of purgatory. And they do have verses that support that. So now I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I marked it as being... <laughs> <laughs> I marked it as being not from the Bible. So you got it right, even though I'm right. actually we, we unsure. Think, we think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Second statement. Once you die, your heart is weighed against truth and justice. If your heart is too heavy, you will be destroyed. I think outside source. You are correct. Okay. Do you happen to know where this came from? I don't bonus know, points. but I just feel like I've seen a cartoon of this, which actually makes me question what cartoon I was watching, <laughs> but I don't feel like, yeah, I think I just saw this in cartoon version as a kid. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, probably. This is from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So they, so your heart is weighted against a feather and it's the feather of truth and justice. So I took out feather because I thought that was a little bit too obvious. Okay. All right. <laughs> it was rolling around in my head somehow. Yep. Yep. Okay, moving right along. In hell, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, definite Bible. Definite oh, Bible. definite. You got it. <laughs> Although, we could argue that hell might not necessarily be... Th- anyway, that I reference know. of gnashing in... Yes, yes. That is in the Bible. I'm, I'm- that is in the Bible. <laughs> Don't spoil it. Yeah. Okay. okay. We have two more. Okay. If your name is not written in the book of life, you will go to hell. <laughs> Uh, a Bible. <laughs> Correct. I just read this in our notes. <laughs> so, yes. And then the last one. Those in hell will have boiling water poured on their heads and will melt their skin as well as their internal organs. And if they try to escape, they will be captured by iron hooks and dragged back down to hell. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> I hope that's not in the Bible. I'm going to hope that is outside the Bible. That is my answer. That is outside the Bible. <laughs> okay goodness goodness although i was thinking i was like but if your nerve endings are destroyed how much will that hurt 
It's really fine, guys. Think about it. No. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually what I got deep in the weeds, and that is something that people have argued. So really, oh my! Okay, like, how can you suffer if your spirit? How can your spirit suffer if it's not a body? Oh. Like, wow, we haven't even started, and okay, I know. You know what? Let's rein it in. Let's rein it in because <laughs> there's there's so much. want to start with what we were taught about hell growing up right mm-hmm. just so yes. people can kind of know where we're coming from do you want to go first sure so i was raised with a very like penal substitutionary atonement theology and it was very fear-based and so it seems like the goal is to avoid hell versus moving toward a loving god mm-hmm. and so growing up i mean you hear of like you know if you don't accept jesus you're going to hell um, you have to, you know, it has to look this certain way. Um, like instead of like Halloween haunted houses, we did hell houses where it would show like this <laughs> horrific car wreck. And then you, you'd like be plunged into hell because the person who died wasn't a Christian. And um, they just had, you know, demons around and horrible things um, like abortion clinics. That was one that will always stick into my head. And that's just like a whole other thing, but like, but that's, but it's just, I think, telling that they put that in the hell house. Yeah. This is, can I just stop you for a second? Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you're saying this because I literally laughed out loud when I read over your notes because I how know. you have this bullet pointed, how, this is how your bullet point is. It says hell houses, in parentheses, it says car wrecks, abortion clinics, <laughs> Satan. And I was like... What? what so car what okay. are all car what is she talking about so i'm glad you're explaining yes. it because it's yeah, like yeah. I, I don't know what's going on here. i just i remember this kind this ties into the how it was very fear-based because like the i remember okay. the hell house starts with the car wreck and then some i'm not sure if it's like things that are bad happen and like abortion is bad but i don't sure how it fit into the hell house but i remember i think i've said this in my other episode but like there's like a how like a kitchen blender and like in the abortion scene there's like a blender going and it's like oh very God. graphic. And as a young child, uh, which is, that's not at all, I, I don't want to, I'm not going to step into the abortion issue right now, but just as far as like, that's not how you present it, especially to like a yeah. kid. Yeah. Um, oh. It was like, it was scary. And like, and it really like that scene stuck with me. And then mm. of course, like Satan is walking around. And in their case, I also will always remember. And I was like, I was really scared. Um, but Satan was dressed up as Darth Maul from Star Wars. Like, I guess I couldn't get a better costume. Oh, wow. And so okay. that made me feel a lot better about the situation. No, that... <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're like, well, yes. he's in charge. I mean... I mean, I don't, yeah. No, I just thought, oh, I kind of... I was young enough that it was like... It was really kind of like sucking me. It was like scary. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's Darth Maul. Okay, this is just a, this is just a person. It's not actually hell. Oh, um, I feel like that has some metaphorical significance. Interesting. It, it could. <laughs> it we could, could get really maybe. deep. So like all that was like scary and I wanted to avoid that. And it was a terrifying, scary place. And then yeah. I, I feel like I didn't evangelize enough. People would go to hell and it would be kind of like my fault. Like if I didn't tell them about Jesus and that they had to be saved, they yeah. would go to this horrible place mm. if they didn't believe this exact certain way. And that was really stressful. And I didn't do a great job like evangelizing i guess in the sense Mm. of like going door to door and be like do you know jesus yeah yeah you know which is kind of like that's what hell is like i think you should be doing that though yeah like so anyway but i couldn't quite reconcile those things so that's where i kind of i don't know grew up in feeling those things yeah we were very 
similar. I think in our childhood impression of it, um, I had doubt very young. Um, Mm. And so there was this doubt about if God's even real. But the thing Mm -hmm. that kept me looking into it and kept me... I actually did eventually become an atheist as a child for a, for a while, but there was always this deep fear. Like if you're wrong, mm-hmm. you're going to this to little hell. terrible place. And you know, my, my mom had these books about people who went to hell supposedly. Oh, and gosh. you know, and she would talk about when things would happen that were bad, you know, that's demonic. That's say. And anyway, I was, yeah. I was a very afraid too, but I did take an interesting turn as I got a little older, like, mm. High school and college, I really did press into kind of the idea that God is love. At this point, I'm like, well, I'm saved. So I'm, I, I really thought I, that I was over this fear of hell. Mm-hmm. And as I have been deconstructing the past few years, it has resurfaced in ways I never expected. Um, really? Just really kind of this idea of, you know, I don't necessarily know if I think, I don't think it's real right now, or I don't think it's like we have thought it is. And I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone's going to go there unjustly, which I think, in my opinion, the traditional understanding is unjust, (laughs) but we will Mm -hmm. get into that. However, there are still these parts of me has so much of what I done been still out of fear. And I don't know, I don't know yet, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so the, it's just come up in interesting ways and it's made me kind of reevaluate how a lot of the more conservative Christians that I would have identified with years ago go about, you know, deciding who they're going to vote for and deciding what topics they're going to bring up the, with their kids young. And it's like, as when you're really within the traditional framework, it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, because the best thing you can do to your, with your life is get saved. Right. And for a lot of us, there's this underlining line of, because then you don't go to hell. You know, it's not about the Mm -hmm. life that you gain. It's about the Mm -hmm. life you avoid. And it's been interesting to think even slightly more from an atheist perspective and say they don't have, if you don't live in fear at all, what do you choose and what do you prioritize? And it's like, we've Mm -hmm. been taught, well, you'll prioritize sin every time if it's not, you know, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's true. It's just, you're not living in kind of this trauma state. So I've been really curious because I do think there is actual trauma. I think that is not an overuse of the word for a mm-hmm. lot of us who have really internalized the idea of an infernal, literal hell. And if it is true, that's good. Like, we should be scared, right? Right. I really did believe in church that they, when they said, like, we should be trying to save everyone. But I was like, mm-hmm. then why aren't we running out of this building? I know. And like, checking. It make sense. No one, but no one wanted to do that. So anyway, yes, I feel you with the dissonance and kind of feeling guilty. And it's been really ironic. I have been engaged with people in the past who um, ended up becoming Christians. And it was never about hell. The only times it's ever like, quote unquote, worked. Not Mm -hmm. that I've saved people or anything. But the only time someone gave their life to Christ after a conversation with me or whatever, it was never around hell, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that actually happens. I mean, apparently that does happen. I feel like even like the pre like the street preachers who are known for like if you die today would you go to hell? Yeah. Even those people and the people like they'll have conversations with people. I don't know that it results ever like I've never they show these clips of like like challenging people, but I'm trying to think of one that I've seen where the person is like, "Yeah, let let me say the sinner's prayer right now." Yeah. Like I don't know. I don't know, but Billy Graham wasn't that kind of his one of his big things. Mm. I don't know, actually. Yeah, I yeah. don't know a lot about. It was. And like the altar call and yes. 
So, I mean, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I wish there were studies done kind of to show what the spirituality of, of people who came to it that way, like how that differs. Although right. I think for a lot of us who are still Christian after asking some of these big questions and diving in deep, we would say we did come to it that way. At least fear was part of it. Mm -hmm. And when the fear left, there was still a connection. But not everyone says that. Once the fear leaves, I just interviewed someone actually for season yeah. three who, mm -hmm. once her fear left, she's like, I, and, and once she learned to kind of cope with something, she's like, I yeah. just don't see a need. I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. So anyway. Yeah. I think that is a very, that's a very typical view of Christianity, which I think if it's just kind of Christ saves you from hell. And you're supposed to be good, but really you're getting out of hell. I mean, we don't really, that really isn't transformative. That isn't, yeah. I don't really have a huge use for it. And there was one, I wish I would have saved it because it was one of the ta many tabs I had opened during research. There was this thing where I was talking about the different understandings of hell and how Christians still needed to preach hell because that really is what drives uh, evangelism. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yes, but also no. We'll get into it more, but I just thought it was just a very interesting way of putting it. Like, no, we need the doctrine of hell, though, because otherwise, why evangelize? Yeah. And I think that's sad mm, I, to me. Let me tell you, in one of my classes for my master's, there was a book written by someone I adored. Like, I actually had him as a teacher, but then his book, mm -hmm. I could not stand. And because that's Ugh. exactly kind of what he said. He's like, well, he, I think they said straight out. Mm -hmm. If hell didn't exist, why would anyone want God? And I was like, that's not a good thing. It's like, like, that's, what? Not, that's no. not an evidence for hell or for its goodness or anything. So anyway, it was just very interesting. But mm -hmm. we are definitely, you can tell we're both passionate <laughs> about this I topic. am. Yes. So today we're going to be starting with some words that are in the Bible that are translated as hell. Words and phrases and concepts. We're going to break that down and then we're going to talk about three common Christian views on what hell might be like. So my sources are all coming from a book, Her Gates Will Never Be Shut by Bradley Jersack. And it's just very informative. It's not super long, but if you have an interest in the hell topic and want to know more about the history and its usage in the Bible, this is an excellent resource. So we're going to start with Sheol or Sheol. We, <laughs> you and I both are such readers. I don't know that we've really said the word out loud very much. And when we were first recording this, we were both saying it a different way. But why don't you start us off with this word and then I'll follow your lead on pronunciation. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sheol is an Old Testament concept and it's usually translated as the grave. It can also be translated as the pit or the depths. And Sheol refers to the state of being physically dead, so hence the grave. Um, but it's kind of unclear whether it's a location or a conscious state, but it does kind of, it's like this is about being physically dead. And very important in the Old Testament, so this is also like according to Jewish thought, everyone went to Sheol after they died, the righteous and the unrighteous. And so we see that with Abraham and um, other biblical stories where uh, you'll have the righteous and the unrighteous together. Mm-hmm. So that's Sheol. Hades, uh, during the intertestamental period, which is the 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the birth of Christ, the Jewish understanding of the grave was really influenced by the Egyptian, Persian, and Greek views of the afterlife. 
And so first century Jews started to use the word Hades instead of Sheol, but the meaning is basically the same. Mm-hmm. It's still a place of the dead, and it was still a place for everyone who died, good or bad. So that's like the general overview, and I think you had some maybe some things to add on to those definitions. Yeah. So again, in the book by Jersak, this is these two terms are the most frequently ones that are translated as hell, and we do kind of lump them together, not because. They're exactly the same, but they roughly correspond in biblical Mm -hmm. usage. And the Septuagint translates Sheol as Hades some 65 times. Okay. And the Septuagint is the oldest Greek translation of the Old Testament and Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. And so when those translators went back and translated Sheol, they turned it into Hades. So the usage of those words in the Bible, Sheol and Hades, is roughly the same throughout. Yeah. Now, Jurstak believes these are likely rendered too quickly as hell. He says grave may be saying too little of what they indicate. We mm. do see some slight differences um, in how they're used. And in our show notes, I have a paragraph with different um, scripture references. If anyone's interested in these exact places where Sheol is described in these ways, but it can refer to physical death, as you said, the grave mm-hmm. where everyone goes, the righteous and wicked alike. It can be a place the faithful hope to be saved from. Mm. Sometimes it's thought to be under the earth, under mountains, under water, or far from heaven. It can be a pit, abyss, or prison. There is sometimes a destructive or negative element about how it's described. But it can also be described very neutrally, as you said. And I do think from what I have heard and seen in research over the years, that it is definitely not the same level of demise (laughs) continuous torment Mm -hmm. that we get from some of these other ideas that the bible presents um but i do think like in the psalms people wanted to avoid it because people Mm -hmm. wanted to avoid dying (laughs) you know it's not it's not so much saying an eternal demise beyond death but people didn't want to (laughs) die So, yeah. And so one thing that is interesting, though, in First Peter 3, 18 through 20, and also First Peter 4, 6, Jesus is said to have gone to Hades and evangelized and told them the good news. So that could be something we could unpack sometime. Um, yeah. Because there's other places in the Bible where it appears that there's, you know, once you go, you're there. So mm-hmm. what's going on? But, um but yeah, I think that's that's a good starting place. And I do think it's a real shame if someone has a translation where it's rendered hell everywhere. Right. Then that's you like think the King James, right? I, be- I believe like the original King James. It Maybe had not hell the newer everywhere. translation. Yes. But yeah. And it's a shame because, of course, people would say, hell is clearly in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's clearly there. And it's like... Yeah. It is in English. <laughs> it is in English. And it's... It, kind of makes me infuriated <laughs> that, that there's just the nuance gets lost so much and i don't think the bible should be censored but there's part of me that's like yes it should like you should mm. because if you take it and don't study it responsibly i mean or even if you're naive i was naive and read read things and i was like this must be how it is and it's like no it's just it's kind of we scary. need like but a anyways. sticker that says like study the bible responsibly exactly exactly (laughs) a bumper sticker please yeah yeah. all right so moving on to Gehenna I didn't know Gehenna was a literal place 
So I was like, oh, wow, this is a place that was in the Old Testament. It was around when Jesus was on the earth, and it's still an actual place you can go. It's a valley in the southwest southwest of the old city of Jerusalem. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is this is a landmarked place. I just, I didn't know. So mm-hmm. my big, like, light bulb moment was, oh, wow, this is an actual historical place. So Yeah, yeah. It is found in the New Testament a lot. And I remember some of the passages we've looked up about it. I thought, oh, I thought that was an undeniably... Uh, talking about an afterlife so it's just mm-hmm. interesting to realize oh he was saying the name of a real place yeah you know which he, know. which everyone around him would know exactly what he was talking about yeah so it's like if you're saying the name of a real place that everyone was familiar with it kind of lends credence to the idea that he was talking about the physical place or using it as an analogy or something yeah yeah so there are four times in the bible where gehenna is referenced as a physical location where something in history actually happened or actually will happen. So these references are not, you know, the more metaphorical use that we see potentially later on in the Bible. These are referring to that actual location. So the first time Gehenna is mentioned is in 2 Chronicles, where Ahaz and Manasseh, who were Israelites, kings of Judah, they sacrificed children here to the fire deity Molech. And this was seen as an abomination to God and a real low spot in Israel's history. The second time Gehenna is mentioned is when Josiah destroyed the altar's idols and false priests in flames here. So it was seen as a reform, as a ending of the terrible practice of child sacrifice, kind of like a cleansing fire, but fire is still very much part of the picture here. Next, Gehenna is mentioned by Jeremiah when he prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple with corpses, rubble, and flames in Hinnom, which is this location. And then the final mention is by Isaiah and Mark saying, even after Jerusalem is rebuilt, the fires will continue to burn outside the city. The defiled valley will be used as a dump for rubble, refuse, and wormy carcasses. And one thing I really love about doing this season with you is you had found something that really backs these findings up and I did not even run across it in my research. So yeah, tell us what you found. In AD 70, due to the Jewish rebellion, rebelling against Rome, the Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they destroyed the second temple there. And when they killed the inhabitants, they burned their bodies at Gehenna. Mm, that's so interesting so this definitely is a very physical place where a lot of terrible things happened it's it's just interesting when you go into reading some of these different passages like what do we do with that so then there are other concepts in the bible that don't necessarily get translated as the word hell but they are often thought to refer to hell So first, we have a group of three phrases that are often used in very similar ways. So their meanings overlap so significantly, we're going to just put them in one category. They are the deep, the abyss, and Tartarus. Jersak says all three share two things in common. They have sometimes been associated with hell, but not normally as the place of punishment for the unredeemed. They are regularly connected with fallen angels or demonic spirits as their source, abode, or prison. So some of these verses even speak to salvation of demons and Satan, Mm. perhaps because they speak to all things and all creatures bowing in worship. So again, it's kind of taking liberties with some of the translation of what that might mean. Right. Also, we have eternal punishment and torment as mentioned by Jesus. 
So one of the toughest passages is Matthew 25, 41 through 46, which says, Then the king will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So there's a lot of debate over this passage, and it goes back at least right. to Gregory and Augustine. It can be argued that mm-hmm. eternal here means forever, but that word can also be rendered to mean a set amount of time or that it can be until the corrective purpose of the punishment has been accomplished. I know. So it doesn't exactly help us with a definitive answer on a time allotment mm-hmm. for hell, um, but it's definitely important to note that there's a tone of judgment and severity. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing is that the word is sometimes thought to refer not to the duration, but when the punishment will happen. N.T. Wright explained in following Jesus that some Jews thought there were two ages, the present and the age to Mm -hmm. come. So this punishment would be in the age to come. So that's when we read eternal, it's possible they're meaning in the age to come, not necessarily that age is going to last forever. Although that is an option, that word can indicate that as well but it could be pointing to that you're not going to get punished right now mm-hmm. we're not going to get judgment right now but it will come so it, it it reinforces the idea that what you do in this age influences what happens in the age to come so it can be argued that the word kalasis which is also part of eternal punishment indicates a corrective discipline He could have chosen other words that showed more of a punishment aspect instead of kind of a corrective aspect. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, you know, there's still, it's, it's kind of tricky. This book, I really appreciate this book because even though it says there's possibility for these gentler, uh, translations or understandings, there's also possibility for very severe ones. (laughs) So, you know, we've kind of got to take it with a grain of salt, all of it. So That's a little bit about what Jesus um, spoke on. And then in Revelation, we read about the lake of fire, which this for me growing up was definitely something that was referenced. The lake of fire in Revelation is described with fiery, destructive images. It's found throughout Revelation. And those whose names are not written in the book of life are thrown into it, as you brought up in our Bible Mm -hmm. game as well as death and Hades are thrown into mm-hmm. it in Revelation 20. Revelation 21.8 says the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. Now, I found something so interesting, especially based on our season we've had so far. So some people will read this and they see a direct connection to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Um, Stephen Spence in the Genesis Pursuit offers a really interesting connection between the scene described in Revelation to the scene described after the destruction at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he thinks that the lake of fire is actually referencing the Dead Sea because when those cities were destroyed and the surrounding cities, the reflection on the Dead Sea would have been of these flames. Because if you think about it, it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting that the... um, that the image used is a lake of fire because, you know, you think of, well, why not like a pit of fire? Why not? Mm. Why is it described as a lake of fire? Why is a watery thing, you know? And so it's just really interesting to think that perhaps a very real historical image is coming to mind for John as he writes this. So I think we just need to remember 
a lot of times in the Bible when hell is referenced, it's referencing something about the past. So what does that mean for the future? All right, it's time to shift gears here. So I'm going to take a moment and go over three common Christian views of hell in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. And we will get into in our next segment on this, how cultural things influenced those views, because there are cultural influences. Um, But for now, typically Christians will fall into one of three categories concerning hell. The first is infernalism. And again, this is from Jersak, who we've mentioned before. So he writes that many or even most Christians across the church spectrum are still convinced that if you're really going to be a Bible-believing Christian, you have to accept a hell of eternal conscious torment. That's a phrase that comes up a lot when you're talking Mm -hmm. about infernalism. It's eternal, never-ending. It is conscious, so you are aware of it, and it's torment, so it's bad it's something that you do not it's like not even tolerable um he writes that many christians secretly repress doubts or privately concede to skepticism but Mm -hmm. they still do believe that the bible teaches infernalism only Mm -hmm. and infernalists range in opinion from belief in hell as a literal place with actual flames some believe in a spiritual state of anguish of the soul um, some believe it's under the earth itself, you know, like in the core mm-hmm. of the earth. I've heard that taught. Um, they are often taught to presume that hell must be populated by the damned. So that, the, that is those who refuse to accept Christ and be saved during their lifetime, their physical lifetime. That's something that um, I always, like in all of these, I know I'm, I'm kind of interrupting here. No, but that's good. With this infertilism view, it's always like it's it's filled with the damned or it's those who refuse to be saved. But who would refuse mm. to be saved? Mm, that's such an interesting point. Like that's such a thing where it's like you have to be saved to go to heaven. And I, I understand it, that means, you know, turning to Jesus, accepting his um, sacrifice on your behalf. I, I understand that part. But then when it's like, how do you get who would there? choose who torment. would choose if it's torment if it's yeah. torment and it's and you really understand how could you choose that i mean like mm-hmm. maybe there are a few people who are just so consumed with anger toward god that they would choose that yeah i don't but i don't know this is something i have in my own personal deconstruction on thoughts of it i yeah. have thought you know, if we are made in God's image, if this whole thing is true, mm-hmm. this whole Christian representation of God, mm-hmm. and we are made in God's image, then of course at our core, we would all desire God. The reason that we would not right. turn is because for some reason the view has been skewed. Like, you know, for some reason we were maybe presented with a gospel by someone who molested us or something where it's like we have incorrect information or incorrect emotions attached or something Mm -hmm. and it seems to me if we're talking about god's justice it is not just if someone is going off of faulty information to send them to a place where they wouldn't want to go but a lot of evangelicals a lot of people who do support infernalism say no 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 they choose Mm -hmm. it there's no accidents Mm -hmm. and of course calvinists (laughs) have a different idea too because there's this idea that we are predestined some of you are predestined to go there some the people who don't hear hear the gospel they're predestined and they would not have chosen it anyway that's that's a often said in calvinism they would not have chosen it anyway so god knew <laughs> to put them in that time and place and it's just 
to me, that makes God cruel in my mind. I know that there are some arguments that are proposed that are valid in the sense that they fall, like the, the premises support the conclusion. Yeah. But I don't think they are sound arguments. No, right. It's not. Yes. There's logic and then there's a sound argument. They're different. So anyways, um, yeah, infernalism is kind of what we think of when we think of Mm -hmm. the Christian view of help for many of us and definitely you and I growing up. So this also kind of comes back to that tricky passage we mentioned, Matthew 25, 31 through 46, which talks about the goats who go into Mm -hmm. eternal punishment and it's a bad thing. It's a bad place. So um, there's also an interesting passage, Luke 16, 19 through 31, which is a parable of Jesus's, of Jesus is is that how you say that it's a parable that jesus told where the rich man (laughs) goes into inescapable agony in the fire Mm -hmm. and he actually wants to warn his brothers and abraham says that's impossible and also says you know if your brothers won't listen to moses and the prophets they're not going to listen if someone comes back from the dead so it does definitely have a serious tone Mm -hmm. um So that's an introduction to infernalism. And that's a view that, of course, I think evangelicalism in many ways is built on that. The idea we must evangelize because people, it's worse than someone getting shot. And this is always what really befuddled me. Like, if you actually think everyone around you is in danger of getting shot in the head unless they have blank, what you can give them. Yeah. Why in the world are you not telling everyone and to be fair, like, I've known some people who are very vocal about that and knock on people's doors, leave tracks yep. in bathrooms, give out water bottles, like, with this, the, you know. Yep. And I've been a part of some of it. And for some reason, it makes me really angry. I'm <laughs> saying it makes me angry, and I don't know why. I don't I think, you know, know what why. I have thought about this as I've been deconstructing this? This thought has come to mind. It makes me angry because what is on the line when it comes to the infernalist view of hell is catastrophic but to me the evidence we have for such a massive threat is not proportionate to the threat and and what i mean is i think it should be spelled out clearer than it is in the bible i don't think you're crazy for thinking a literal hell or a hell of this eternal conscious torment is not what the bible even teaches you're not crazy to think that looking at the meanings of these phrases that have been translated as hell and i also think it's not an inherently human concept you know if if this really is at risk it should be a hard wired inner knowing that hell is coming for it to be fair this is my opinion you know and i don't think lazarus is crazy in the parable if what is at risk is truly eternal conscious torment you know to say hey send someone back we do need someone to come back. And I guess you have those people who wrote the books, who write books and say, yeah, I did. Except you have that, Except that from okay. different religions. And they don't match, you know? They don't I, match. And some of those books, especially like the Christian ones that were touted, like, this person went to hell, this person went to heaven. And they're like, it's actually bull. Like, okay, years later, they admitted it and nothing, that, and nothing happened. Yeah. So I'm always very skeptical. Um, yeah. But I do, like, the people who believe that and then act on it, like – good good for them because if you believe that everyone is going to hell unless you talk unless like you do your absolute best to talk to them about jesus and they get out there and do it so like i don't fault them for that like good they're good following on you. their conviction 
Yes. However, I also absolutely hate when people do that. You know, it's such a funny dilemma to be in right at this time in life because there's part I of me that's it like so offensive. Like yes. I, I don't understand what it is because again, like I think a lot of them are doing it out of like genuine concern. So it's not like a person I'm offended by. I don't know. It's just like the whole construct I am deeply offended by. Yeah. And, and I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I really think responding out of a traumatic place mm-hmm. is what happens there are times a trauma response really does need to be heated so you know if you're living in the jungle and Mm -hmm. a bear destroys one of your family members then yeah that trauma response should inform how you treat yourself how you treat other people how you talk to them about bears how Mm -hmm. or did i say bear i don't even know are bears in the jungle you know you get Uh, the metaphor probably like a (laughs) panther or a snake there you go. Okay. Some but we wild get it. Beast. Yeah. You get the, the idea. wild beast. Yeah. So that trauma response is valid and is actually saving people. I right. think part of the problem here is, is the trauma response based in reality. And even if it is, is this the best way to present it? You know, that's the thing that's so tricky about it um, in so many ways. And in, in the very first episode of this entire podcast Dylan Stewart talks about hell and I really do think mm-hmm. he brings up some really important points about how logically it's difficult to say this is logical. It's certainly not obvious to the human race that hell exists and I think that's what makes me so upset. Unless you are raised in this tradition, you would have no idea. And mm-hmm. so that's what it's like if this really is this looming punishment for all mankind why in the world is there not more information that's what that's where i come from that's where mm. my it, the the unfairness of it stems i think from that mm-hmm. in part in part it stems from that of why it seems so unfair but anyways you're right whatever it is however we rationalize it it might be different reasons for you than me but there's something yeah. really offensive about the infernalist approach and i do think it really does push a lot of evangelism say because it becomes less about the person's wholeness Mm-hmm. It's less about that, and it's more like, no, you need to believe this right thing, mm-hmm. because it's the only way that you're not going to have the worst thing ever happen to you. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, what are your thoughts? There's this like evangelical part of me that comes up every time like we're talking about hell and the nature of it in this infernalism view, and it's always like, well, you're just trying to put your human mm-hmm. like thoughts, your human rationale onto god and you can't possibly comprehend god and so it's like well that's just the way like it sounds unloving and unfair to you but that's just because you're human like that's what god says that's that's just the way it is though and so i always hear to like these things that i also believe but then like there's always this little bell in the back of my head saying well that's just the way it is though like yeah it sounds like god is an unloving monster but he's god so suck it up buttercup like it's just that idea which i think is kind of a attitude that some fundamentalist christians hold is that yeah yeah, it sounds terrible but that's just the way it is yeah and yeah i don't know well and i will say for me there definitely was for a very very long time this idea like i truly think god's good i truly Mm -hmm. do and that's really the attribute of god that has actually become stronger through deconstruction for me Mm -hmm. um, as a christian still And for many years, it was like exactly what you said. I don't get it, Mm -hmm. but I trust it's good somehow. And I think I'm getting to the point where I'm realizing our intuition and our logic are God-given. I believe that. They're not, you know, and in the sense that we can examine scripture, we can examine these Christian ideas. And if it's not logical, 
it might not be real. It might not be actually godly. I don't know that we have to accept everything in the way we've been taught we have to accept it. There's a whole discussion around like, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's wicked. You can't trust it. And then also like, but then holding that with God gave you your brain and your emotions and your feelings and he put that in you and you have your, his spirit in you and he's created you to use these things and to trust yourself in a sense. And that's just a whole conversation. It is a whole conversation. It 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 just does come into hell. Yeah, it, it really does. And it's just, yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, okay, finally, moving on from the first from the first view, we also have annihilationism. So this is teaching of a perishing, which is found in John three sixteen, and it's synonymous with death or just eradication. So it it's like a full stop to the existence mm-hmm. of the unredeemed, so the people who have not accepted Christ. So some annihilationists believe that death itself is the end and that only those prepared for everlasting life will experience the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, others believe that the wicked will be raised to life again, judged for their deeds, and then damned to the lake of fire, where then they are completely consumed and annihilated. Both body and soul are destroyed, which mm-hmm. we do read that in Matthew ten twenty eight. Both body and soul are destroyed in a second death. That's referenced in Revelation twenty one eight. And there's ideas about vaporizing the whole person found in the mm-hmm. Psalms. Um, so the annihilationist does see justice in a different way. They have actually an answer that I think is a little bit more satisfying logically mm-hmm. um, to this. And as far as then an infernalist sometimes do. Mm-hmm. However, you know, it's it's just, I do think personally you do have to take a few more interpretive steps to get there if that makes sense um then sort of the shorter path that infernalists go when they're interpreting Mm -hmm. these texts so that doesn't mean it's wrong at all or doesn't mean it's not accurate but i do think annihilationists i don't want to say are reading into it i just i think that they're it's almost like how we form doctrines um right i think it's a similar kind of process that happens here i say i kind of think i tend toward annihilationism Okay. That between universalism is like kind of where I'm at currently. And that's just, it's really interesting because I've been reading through a lot of texts in preparation for this. And you see things like so many verses in the Bible are talking about hell, talk about death or a second death or they're the Mm. wicked are dead. And actually today, my husband Kenny and I were talking, uh, while we made dinner, we made a delicious corn chowder just to set the stage. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and we were dis- I was discussing this because I had sent him some articles and we were talking about it. And I said, oh, it sounds like you're kind of an annihilationist as well. And he's like, no, definitely not. I do not believe that. Uh, and I said, well, how? Okay, that's confusing to me because I've just been reading all these verses that seem to kind of imply that. Imply that, okay. And, and he's like, no, you can be dead, but not actually dead. And okay. I don't, I don't think I'm quoting him correctly because it came into like a very heated discussion where we ended. It was like, you need to have someone else explain this to you because I don't understand what you don't understand. That's what he was saying to you? Yes. (laughs) And I was like, I just don't get it. Like you're saying words to me and they don't, I can't make meaning out of them. And we had a huge disconnect. Okay. So Uh, so you're actually saying it's like, it's a shorter path to get to this view i felt like it was to me it felt really short and it actually made more sense than just infernalism because there are so many passages where it talks about death 
Mm, okay. Yeah. Where I you can die and the wicked are, die. I'm like, okay, how do you make sense of that? Um, Kenny's, from what I gathered, he was talking about how there it talks about being dead in sin, and that doesn't mean mm. that you're physically dead, but you're yeah. dead in sin. So, what does it mean to have your soul dead in sin? Does that mean that? I think that's where he was taking it, where he's saying those verses referred to being dead in sin, not mm-hmm. actually dead. And to me, it seems more plain if they're just talking about being like dead, dead. Yeah interesting i don't know so that's just a little bit of a behind the curtain i guess of yours yeah that's really interesting it is true uh, when we talk about universalism next which Mm -hmm. i'm leaning towards lately um i as of course i've been thinking like oh it's all over the place all over john i've been reading john i'm like it's all over the place however as you're talking i'm like you know it's so true how our biases inform how we read. So yes, true. It's, I've mm-hmm. I've really taken a step back and had to ask myself, am I taking more liberties with the text than I would have to with something like infernalism? Mm. Even mm-hmm. though I hold to it based on, or I'm leaning towards it, I guess, based on kind of the logical and moral arguments surrounding mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, but I'm glad you brought that up. That's really interesting to hear. I think I don't know where I thought you landed. I, I yeah. don't know. I knew before that you were super <laughs> off put by how infernalists, you know, evangelize. And that's but a little separate than the doctrine. I think that has is. more to do with my, my experience. But yes. I also think it's important to think about. I don't think De- Kenny, I don't even think you mm-hmm. necessarily would say you're deconstructing. Mm, and no. this is definitely a side note, but I've been thinking about it as we do this season. This is, I think that these um, episodes are really helpful for people deconstructing. But I also think these are the kinds of things that Christians should be just doing without thinking they're going to necessarily change their faith, like digging in deeply. Absolutely. And so I get really kind of put off when people think deconstruction is the enemy of Christianity because Mm -hmm. an honest investigation is not... (laughs) your enemy unless you have something to hide and and granted biases can make things less honest whether or not we're aware mm-hmm. of it right but mm-hmm. um all of that to say thinking of you and kenny discussing this you know kenny is he is he a priest yet is he going to be a priest and oh, it's, it's like no. he's not priest yet. but like he's no. just very much not what you think of as someone who unpacks this in the way that deconstructionists do but it is it's the same process you know Mm, it's the same mm -hmm. process that you can go through when you are not questioning your entire spirituality you know if it's valid or not so i just i wish it was done more on the micro level anyway that's definitely a little tangent for another day for now let's bring it back to our final view which is universalism or universal reconciliation So there are different views underneath this umbrella view, but the term universalism implies the salvation of all souls. And not even the most heinous crimes can disqualify anyone from that paradise. So this relies on God's indiscriminate grace. He causes Mm -hmm. his sun to rise on the evil and the good, as we read in Matthew. So some in this camp wouldn't believe in hell really at all they would say that the references in the bible concerning judgment are really talking about something that happens during human lifetimes on earth on the opposite end of the universalism spectrum you have something called ultimate redemption which if i'm understanding correctly is kind of this idea that hell isn't necessarily hell in the usual sense of the word but is a period of refining that happens to people and then everyone ends up 
saved and whole and in the presence of God. So as a Christian, I lean towards universalism right now in part because of the ethical and logical problems that come with infernalism in the sense of an eternal punishment for people who commit finite crimes. That does not seem just to me. Annihilationism, I feel like has some problems too, but that's primarily based on how I view being made in the image of God. I think that that means that humans are fundamentally at their core good creatures and evils that they commit are a result of a skewing of that image. So I think annihilationism doesn't make as much sense as the idea of perhaps the refining fire sort of universalism because it seems to me odd to annihilate something that could be truly redeemed to its original state. But I also think, aside from the logical and ethical ways of getting to that conclusion, you really do see this all over the Bible, or you can see this. So, for instance, I was taught when, when the Bible references every knee shall bow, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. This was not necessarily a wonderful picture the way I was brought up. This was, you know, believers praising God, but then unbelievers kind of really begrudgingly saying, yeah, Jesus is Lord. But in a universal lens, that could truly mean when all the blinders are taken away, there's an understanding of every creature, every human at least, saying, oh, I understand my source now. I understand things now. Um, I also think it's very interesting that Jesus' message was not repent. The kingdom of hell is near, which is kind of what you see happening in a lot of evangelical ways of witnessing to people. Instead, Jesus primarily says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. So the emphasis is more on the life to be gained than the life to be avoided when I read the gospels, um, especially, you know, just seeing how his emphasis, Jesus's emphasis was not this frantic trying to convert everyone at once. It was really about relationship, about living well, um, about coming into wholeness and the abundant life that God offers. So this, again, our, our lenses shape how we view everything. And I'm so aware of that because I never saw this before when I completely understood the Gospels and the whole Bible to be talking about infernalism. So it's, it's sometimes a good thought experiment, I think, to go back and try and read some of these passages and apply a different lens that you've heard about and say, does that make sense in this context? Does that make better sense, actually? Does that, you know, does that feel like a stretching of interpretation? So anyway, it's just something I've been trying to do lately. I also want to say this is not some newfangled way of reading the Bible. Throughout church history, you have an abundance of orthodox believers and by orthodox i don't mean eastern orthodox i mean traditional christian mainline understanding of christianity believers holding to universalism so ancients like origin of alexandria mm -hmm. and gregory they're often labeled as universalists which i found really interesting um but they certainly believed in the existence of a lake or river of fire and they insisted that many must pass through that. But I guess they ultimately believed, you know, in a universal redemption. Which is, yeah, kind of where I am, I think. But it's also yeah. like, oh, wow, so that's purgatory, I guess. So that's, exactly. <laughs> that's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. That is interesting. And I think the from what I understand, 
mm-hmm. Catholics have books in the Apocrypha, correct, mm-hmm. that discuss this more. And so it's an idea that's somewhat foreign to Protestants, but reading some of the Apocrypha kind of uh, explains what that might be like a little more. But mm-hmm. I believe Catholics think some are damned and people who yeah. go to purgatory are the ones who are on their way to redemption, but it's correct. not all. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's just a brief overview of the three predominant views in mm-hmm. Christianity. And I just wanted to end this real quickly by saying there, there are different things that inform our theology that I want the listener to keep in mind when they are kind of thinking through their own thoughts on hell. Because we are all biased. We all have, mm-hmm. you know, assumptions and things. And for most people, what you think about hell is first off impacted by your view of God. Mm. So is God real? <laughs> God's not real. There's no hell, right? Mm-hmm. If he is real or she, it, they, you know, is God primarily a God of love, of ju- justice, of righteous anger? What's the primary posture towards humanity? Um, that's, that's kind of the first thing to keep in mind as you dissect hell for yourself. Secondly, your view of atonement is really important to keep in mind. So the atonement is about the cross. So was the Mm -hmm. cross about God pouring out his wrath upon Christ or us pouring our wrath out upon Mm -hmm. God? Um, Was God punishing Jesus in our place Mm -hmm. or were we murdering God's perfect love? What's going on at the cross? Because Mm -hmm. that does impact how we view salvation, which impacts how we view what we're being saved from. Right. So that's important. Another important thing is our approach to scripture. So are we tending to interpret images literally or metaphorically? Do we feel uh, um, do we feel we are being more faithful to the text when we take it as literal as the language allows? Or when we are being most sensitive to the author's use of symbols, um, are we prone to ignore verses that don't fit our doctrinal presuppositions? Mm. Or are we more apt to bend them into our framework? And this is something I've had to kind of think about because like I said, I've been reading through John recently and was all like, oh my goodness, it's definitely universalism. That's definitely it. And then, of course, you go to some of the other Gospels, and it's like, oh, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so pro- how we approach the scripture is important to keep in mind consciously as we deconstruct hell for ourselves, I think. And then the last point is our personal need. When it comes to the topic of hell and why we want to even deconstruct it or even want to unpack it or think about it, What is the underlying personal need behind that? Do we feel the need to ignore, minimize, or do away with hell because we cannot allow that a loving God could conceive, create, or implement such a monstrosity? Mm -hmm. Do we desperately need hell because of the world full of atrocities? Mm -hmm. Do we require such a place to threaten unbelievers into salvation, you know, and believers into faithfulness? Do we require the threat? Or do we look for a proportionate combination of compassion and punishment in our desire to prevent God from vanquishing evil with a far greater evil? Mm. So anyway, I just wanted to put those in there because I think that it's really important to think about why we are coming to the hell discussion in the first place. I honestly think all Christians should deconstruct hell. I really mm-hmm. do. I mean, not thinking you're going to abandon your faith or anything necessarily. I just think this is a topic. It influences so much of how we look at other people, how we mm-hmm. live our lives, how we view God, how we view everything, I think. Yes. You know, if you have this looming idea of hell, 
Is it well informed? Yes. So thanks for being here, Jenny, and helping lay the framework for our series on health. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.